0: Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC.
1: Because we mustn't forget that obligations are not just about what um, an external party imposes on you, like a regulator or, you know, like is in law. Um, it can also just be about the promises you make to customers.
0: Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor at the GRC Institute. And today I have our CEO, Naomi Burley. Hi, Naomi. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. How are you, Kwame?
0: Uh, not too bad. It's the first of December. Got to pop open my first um coffee advent calendar. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, coffee! All right. Well, I opened my <laughs> chocolate lint advent uh, yeah. calendar and he said he didn't want it. So
0: <laughs> a classic, a classic. So we are here to talk about ourselves, um, to talk about the GRC Institute and to talk a little bit about what we've been up to this year. We've been up to quite a bit and been involved in quite a bit. Um. I think maybe a good place to start might be the ISO ISO compliance management standard piece. That Um, is
1: a good place to start. That was – now I'm trying to remember. Was that published in April this year? (laughs) Uh,
0: So long ago. So many COVID lockdowns ago.
1: I know. I know. Multiple multiple lockdowns ago. But, yes, that is a good place to start because we've had – an extraordinary amount of interest in the ISO standard, um, which, to be honest, I didn't really anticipate because um, a lot of our members were very familiar with 3806 and very familiar with 9N600, and, um but there's a lot of curiosity and a lot of people looking to move their organisations over to... Um, two thirty seven three oh one. not that there should be a massive shift for them it's just you know probably better articulated what will be measured and what won't be measured um, in the standard so quite a bit of work around that really high participation rates in the events we've run around it so it's it'll be really interesting to see uh, people get some value out of the standard because it seems to be taken up by a lot more organizations. Yeah, excellent.
0: And what about that piece of certification? I know that, um, at the beginning of the year that we didn't really have anybody there to certify the, the standard and how to implement your organization just as yet.
1: Yes. Or, um, know. so we also participated in the committee to, uh, put together the competency requirements for certifiers. Yeah. Um, so that was an interesting process because that's the first time we've participated in that side of things, obviously with this standard. Um, So that will be available. It hasn't actually been signed off yet. And our estimate is that those competencies will be available for certifying organisations. So someone who's already listed as a certifier of other standards or someone who wants to enter into the market with this one from potentially February next year. Um, is the deadline. We're hoping it'll be a little bit before then so I'm keeping an eye out for anything that might come through to advise members. Um, So if you are looking for a certifier you should definitely double check that they are listed with um, Jazz ANZ uh, which is the body in the Australian New Zealand space that can approve people to be certifiers for the ISO standards. So they have to meet another number of other competency requirements plus the ones we've put on board for anyone trying to certify a compliance program, which was around, you know, having, having some of that core knowledge um, around the difference between, you know, compliance risk and other kinds of risk and, and even other kinds of standards. Because there are some standards out there where it really is check that it has all these physical elements or, um, you know, they've got the safety gear out where they say they're going to have the safety gear. It's obviously much more nuanced and much more complex in the compliance framework space.
0: Right, yeah. sure. And so, moving... so
1: February next year.
0: Yeah, February next year. So everyone, mark your calendars. Um, moving right along from that, um, obviously we published the Three Lines paper uh, this year as well. And I think it was officially released on the first day of our conference, It was. Um, So let's just talk a bit about that process. I mean, I know we've talked about it before in the past.
1: We have. Look, this has been a really long-term project driven by um, one of our longstanding CCP fellow alumni, um, Annette Doncelar. She had contributed an article uh, a while ago to the Compliance and Regulatory Journal around role clarity and making the three lines of defence as its as it's more commonly known, work in your organisation. We've seen lots of iterations of this model and um, a lot of organisations either making it incredibly complex and then negating the benefits you're meant to obtain from the model and a lot of people misinterpreting that the three lines of defence means it's um, a risk management strategy in the sense of addressing that kind of Swiss cheese model and having controls at different lines. Someone's going to stop this sort of getting through to the keeper. What it really is about is about who can do the complying versus who can set you up to support you doing the complying better, and then who then checks that all of that actually works and works as well as it can. So in some senses, yes, it can pick things up, but the likelihood is that in in a normal three lines of defence model, if you're relying on line one to comply and line two to kind of support them and line three to pick something up, a regulator will likely pick it up before you, before an auditor does or a customer will complain long before you get around to doing that, that third cycle. So we felt that it was important to clarify some ideas around the three lines and that's why we've changed the name to the three lines of accountability to make it really clear that um, – Second line compliance is not accountable for the complying part. They build the frameworks, they support you, they facilitate that for you. They give line one the knowledge base to help them comply, but they don't, can't actually take the actions on a day-to-day level to comply um, because they're not selling the insurance um, policy. They're not, you know, they're not providing the financial advice. They're not designing the products. Um, so they can't. They can't make you comply unless they were standing over your shoulder. You have to be enabled to be able to do that. Mm. So um, yeah, I think it was an important shift uh, to really uh, have people understand how to make that model successful because it is a it is a very solid model about having that independence and overview and having third line have that independence. Um, and, and like I said, we've seen lots of things in lots of different organisations where they think they're running three lines and what they're actually running are two lines and compliance is both the audit and compliance, but they don't actually do any of the supporting function of compliance. They just do the coming in and checking whether you're complying or not and they think they're doing three lines. Or they have, uh, organisations where compliance is buried in the first line and they actually report up to the business head. So there's, there's an obvious conflict there. They can't act independently and they can't, um, they can't bypass that that um, business unit head that they might be reporting to, to let someone know that there's an issue within that business unit. So that's not three lines either. Um, so we thought it was really, really important exercise to sort of tease that out. And Annette did a piece of work with the alumni to talk through what their key issues were and to add that, feed that back into the paper and the considerations in the paper around those success factors that have been identified in there. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a really useful document with some very tangible measures you can set up in your organization and see yourself whether you've got all the bits and pieces you need in that model to make it work. So it's an incredibly valuable piece of work. I know that we've, uh, you know, re-released the recording for people. If they haven't accessed that, they should reach out to us. And, uh, And the paper will be available on the website as well for GRCI members. So yeah, we want to get the word out there. If you need any assistance t- trying to explain it out to your organisation, definitely reach out to us. Um,
0: and, and I guess it's really interesting because it's not just a conversation for us GRC members, but I know the Institute of Internal Auditors also published a paper which they removed the word defence as well. Um, and yes, I guess a similar kind of conversation happening there.
1: Exactly, exactly, because we we feel that it was one of the stumbling blocks mm. that. Um, that if organisations, it was like a little bit of three lines voodoo going on, if they said they had it uh, and and they really believed in this word defence and that wasn't what it was about, you know, they forgot about the independence part, they forgot about the who's actually accountable for being compliant part. Um, So we felt it was important to put that word back in. I can understand why the internal auditors... Uh, didn't do that, but we felt that it was important to actually articulate a word. And it was a toss up between responsibility and accountability, but accountability kind of won at the end of the day. One, it's something that regulators are using a lot more, and they're emphasising that part, so we thought that that would be something that for our members explaining it to their organisations, they would, they would be cluing into that. Um and also because at the end of the day, that line one is accountable. Um for, for complying they're the only ones who can change their own behaviors uh, to comply, so it, it sort of makes that there's quite a lot of clarity in renaming it that way
0: so while we 're on to compliance programs, we can jump into something to help people with their financial crime compliance yeah. um, or with our course <laughs> offerings um, so we've we've run a few pilots and we've had our, our first actual paid course. As well. Let's yes, for the AML skill that. set. Yes.
1: Yeah, look, we, and we've had this, this has been a long, long standing request from members for, uh, GRCI as a registered training organisation, because that's part of our operations with the certificate for in compliance and risk management and our own graduate certificate in compliance and risk management to also get AML qualifications on scope, uh, because many of our members have um, anti-money laundering and financial crime responsibilities within their compliance programs. So while we might not be like some other um, anti-money laundering specialist membership organisations, we do have uh, an increasing number of members who have those in their core responsibilities. And um, it's probably not very well known, but AFMA, used to have these courses on scope, but have since shifted from being an RTO to having um, an arrangement with a university for some of their other qualifications. So they dropped them from, from actively providing them. And so there was, um, there was no one who's providing these qualifications in the Australian market um, on, a, on an ongoing basis. So we took that up and we... With the very generous volunteering of a number of GRCI members, we ran two pilots to sort of tweak both the assessments and the core um, content for those, and, and we've run our first skill set. We understand that, you know, the commitment of doing something like a graduate certificate and the financial outlay, it will be a bit slower for that, uh, the cohorts for those to register and be able to commit to the time to finish a graduate certificate But I think both courses are incredibly valuable and they very nicely balance out what we do in the Certificate 4 as well. So someone might come into the Certificate 4 and it gives a really solid grounding in the principles of building a compliance framework, understanding compliance risk management and assessment, um, leading that kind of change in regulatory projects and gives you a really good feel for that. But you might then, especially if you 're working in, in the space like financial services where you 've got so many regulators playing in that space, you might then not have clarity around who 's who in that organization. the AML skill set actually gives you a really good picture of what all the regulators do because that's that 's part of the accessible component of that course so you know as a really nice balancing act to the certificate for if you are very very new to compliance and wanted to get a really solid understanding of um, both the AML space and the other financial services uh, sector regulators, then I would also recommend you know, then following up with the AML skill set, um, and it would really round out your experience. But the other reason we really felt that it was vital to get those on our scope is that um, we're hearing from organisations that they can't recruit compliance professionals. There aren't enough people out there who understand that compliance frameworks work. They might be really great at the business or really great at that particular industry, and they're having to recruit them with, um, with that kind of sector knowledge and have them try and learn the compliance part somehow. Um, and so we're getting a lot of students coming in and needing to learn that, that side of things because there just aren't enough compliance professionals out there, and it's even more dire in the anti-money laundering and financial crime space, because they're really, really complex risks. You're not just then building a program for just the internal behaviours of your staff, which obviously you do have to do, which is standard compliance stuff. You've also got to try and anticipate risks from external parties who want to utilise your organisation to either launder funds or to um, commit other crimes. So it's it's a really, really um, complex space and involves a bit of a shift in your thinking about risk and about um, estimating what people can do with different products and think of it in a different way. So although someone might be incredibly experienced in that particular industry, um, they might not think like a risk manager when it comes to looking at the product. They can only see the positive benefits and how good it is for a customer and not necessarily see how good it is also for a criminal so, um, so a bit of a shift, and definitely worth doing the course because it makes you think in a different way right. as well. And we so need now, more people. We need more yeah. people for organisations.
0: <laughs> yes. So now I'm going to ask you to put your speculative hat on, and um, and ask you a bit about the conversations you've been having with maybe with members over the year or two years about what you think. Like, the, what are the issues that keep recurring that people are asking for a bit well, more on?
1: Yeah, look, there's some some big ones that are coming up. So we've had requests to reconvene our compliance frameworks discussion group. So in addition to some ongoing work we're gonna do around the ISO standard, there's a separate group that is the invites out at the moment that's just gonna be people sharing the experience of how they are documenting out, how they are building out their compliance framework across their organisation. And if it's like last time when this group convened, it'll be a really interesting discussion because we'll have people across all industries and all sized organisations comparing how they tackle those problems. Um, because although bigger organisations might have more resources, they've also then got, you know, multiple business units and in uh, very complex um very complex structures, which may mean that some parts of their framework end up being siloed instead of being cohesively communicating across everything. So that's always a really interesting group. Um, but the big issues that are being flagged that we'll be trying to roll out some training around, they won't be formal qualifications, but definitely uh, providing some half-day to full-day training around data privacy. Um, you know, the changes that might be coming, but also that global perspective, because it's no longer appropriate to only think of what the Australian regulations are and certainly as we know the Attorney General's reviewing all of those, so we may well adopt some of the the measures that have been taken overseas. Um, and then that, you know, there's both an intersecting in data privacy with cyber, but there's also the the other cyber aspects that need to be rolled into your compliance framework. And uh, there may be a piece for our members going back and, and making sure their organisations understand that there's a behavioural aspect to cyber. Um, there are training requirements. There's support that needs to be given to first-line staff to understand the risks that they're facing every day. And it's not just an IT or firewall issue. Um, there's also the planning and the risk management for when a cyber attack or uh, malware or ransomware or um, denial of service happens you need to have a plan ready to go very well rehearsed and um, you may want to have those measures practiced and learnt internally and not be relying on getting in experts you know once the crisis has happened you, you might want to have that already roll out the other one that um is a sort of interesting and complex one and poses a few risks to organisations in terms of both reputation and potentially regulatory is around climate change and then intersect with um your ESG programs. So there's a big spectrum there. Um but what we're what we're cognizant of is that the regulators are paying a lot of attention to climate change risk from from all kinds of angles. But there's also, you know, from the the financial risks in your organisation to how you promote, um, how you are investing or being involved in climate change or meeting different measures, to you know the whole sort of greenwashing claims um, as a potential risk for organisations to make sure that again there's a framework around the promises you make in respect to that and um, the risks that there that you have in respect to that, and it might mean supporting and training staff um, and reporting up to the board how those are going, which is which is sort of Compliance Frameworks 101. But there'll be some organisations that aren't necessarily asking their compliance team to be involved in that conversation or they mm. might ask them when it's too late yeah. and they're just about to get a call from a regulator about it. So there's there's some interesting nuances there and I think that more and more... It will become part of the compliance framework because we mustn't forget that obligations are not just about what um, an external party imposes on you, like a regulator or, you know, like is in law. Um, it can also just be about the promises you make to customers. And sometimes they need to be supported by something as robust and comprehensive um in controls like you get in compliance framework it's not just enough to roll out some training about something you might need some controls in it to see how it's going you might need to be monitoring and measuring it so we think those are sort of the big ones coming up Um, we know that the regulators are going to keep rolling out a whole lot of changes and we're going to have a very busy time in our inboxes i think in the lead up to christmas Mm. everyone had an incredibly busy 2021 if you're working in financial services in particular um and I and I'm unfortunately I don't think that the pace is gonna let up for that. And I think there is a bit of an assumption from regulators that a lot more organizations have implemented some kind of technology solution to help them
0: yeah.
1: make those changes rapidly um than may actually be the case out in the market. So um I'm anticipating unfortunately, sorry, a really busy twenty twenty two for everybody as well.
0: And on a later, more exciting note, um, <laughs> we have our AML CTF, our AML Financial Crimes Congress coming up next year. So we thought we'd put that in your brains from you quite do. early. Yes.
1: yes, save the date. It's not going to be until May because yeah. we would like to wait until the Senate um, inquiry has finished. Uh, in, you know, not that there will be any changes from that. I don't think that will impact organisations that are already um, providing designated services. But um, we're we're going to approach this day, it is going to stay online, and that's mainly because that helps our members participate. And because it's a one-day event, it's really difficult for members to get the approval to travel, to attend that kind of thing. So it is going to stay online. We are going to run two concurrent streams because we've already got a cohort coming through who've done the skill set and who will need ongoing CPD. But we we know that there are people there who are at the beginning of their uh, financial crimes and AML per, you know professional development journey. And then there are those who are really, really experienced. So we've decided to split the streams. Uh, we will be inviting AUSTRAC to deliver the keynote for that one as usual um, and give their sort of update and by May, there will be some updates. Um, and then we're splitting the day and following the structure of the Part A and Part B of your of your requirements, uh, your AUSTRAC requirements. Uh, exploring each of those topics, especially around, you know, the ongoing pain points of risk assessments and the ongoing pain points around really knowing your customer and your enhanced due diligence and ongoing due diligence. Um, but one from a beginner perspective and one from a really experienced perspective and then close out the day with a panel session at the end, sort of bring everyone back together. And uh, we're hoping to be able to then offer the afternoon prior an actual face-to-face event, which will keep state-based. So that's probably our low-risk solution is mm. having something that's state-based and hopefully all the states can meet, but nobody has yep. to do an immense amount of travel, travel to be able to do that and connect connect all of those cities up still online um, so that we can be workshopping some of those financial crime aspects, especially um, the sanction space seems to mm. be emerging um, as an area of particular concern because it is getting very, very complicated at the moment. And um, some of those things that we flagged two years ago at the Financial Crimes Congress are emerging um, around uh, around sanctions in particular. So that's the one we're looking at running a masterclass on the afternoon before for a couple of hours and be able to see people in person, which will be very exciting. Sounds so, yeah, like... 24th of May, keep that in your calendars.
0: Sounds like I have to rope uh, Julian back in for a podcast sometime soon. I have to. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you very much. I guess the the last thing really is, do you have any, you know, words of wisdom for members going on to their holidays and thinking, oof, what a tough year, not looking forward to next year?
1: (laughs) Yeah, look, it has been a really tough year, and I know that people are are sort of dying to get back out there and meet with their fellows, and we will be trying to face-to-face things. But I think congratulate yourselves. You've done a great piece of work in the past uh, two years. Our members have really demonstrated their unique value proposition of a compliance, a robust compliance framework and the value add they bring to organisations and the cohesiveness they bring to organisations. Their people focus as well as obligation focus and and i think you know congratulations don't forget to pause and be really um be really grateful with your teams and be really uh, you know kind to yourselves and mm. recognize what you've been doing um and what you've been doing remotely and online almost the whole time and just rolling with the punches um so well done everybody i i just think pause and don't forget to remember how fantastic you are and while you're doing that, think about your entry for the GRCI awards for mm. 2022. <laughs> because I don't think there's nearly enough self-congratulation in compliance departments. Everyone's loath to do that because the next minute the regulator will walk in the door and go, oh, yes, but back in 2008, you did X, <sighs> Y, Z. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's going to happen. You know, that, that used to be the first thing we would do in Compliance 101 was sit down with the, with all these very earnest, brand new to compliance people and go, okay, So you've got all these obligations, but don't forget, you will have a breach, something will happen, and um, you need to just accept that that is how life is going to be. And, you know, I I think that's the thing is that um, everyone has done a really, really good job and um, you need to pause and acknowledge that.
0: This podcast was a production of the Governance, Risk and Compliance Institute, and the music was produced by Rob Neary.